The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, December 30th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. It is the last gist of 2015. So I bring you election news. Not U.S. election news. Well, a little U.S. election news. George Pataki has dropped out of the race. He revealed that he was only in the race because he's a cable cord cutter and he had no other way to watch the undercard debates than to be in them. So kind of smart. Anyway, good strategy. But nothing that George Pataki said is going to be much remembered. I don't know that this sentence by John Kasich will be remembered. It's kind of the sentence of the week or the sentence that best exemplifies where we are in politics on this, the penultimate day of 2015, though he said it over the weekend on this week. So John Kasich was touting his chances. He actually said, I'll catch fire. And if I catch fire, I think the sky is the limit thereby laying out what will, if successful, forever be known as the Hindenburg strategy of catching fire in the sky. So Kasich explained why he was catching fire. And here, here is uh, the sentence that drew my ear. And like I say, we just had a poll. It's uh, 600. It's, it's the most accurate of all the polls because it actually samples a greater number of people. And I'm one, one point out of third place. Actually, the figures from that one poll indicate that he is in third and one point out of fourth. That poll goes Trump 21, Rubio 15, Kasich 13, Christie 12, Cruz 10. The other two recent polls have Kasich in fourth place and fifth place with 8% of the vote. That is what he's touting. Forget U.S. elections. Let's go spanning the world. Some other elections. The most recent election, in fact, you don't get more recent than the election going on today in the Central African Republic. I'm not going to say of, that's just the name of the country, the Central African Republic, where 20% of the population have been displaced by wars and ethnic cleansing. 30 candidates are competing in that election. It's going on, judging by long queues in the capital. It seems that they're determined to turn out, to take back their country. Reuters quoted one person saying that he was voting because he needs peace and not war. Seychelles, the island nation of Seychelles, recently had an election. Seychelles has 70,943 eligible voters. Guess how many of them voted? 62,000. That's pretty good. That's almost a 90% rate. 1,466 were rejected as invalid ballots, which is a better rate than in the United States. The Seychelles presidential race. Seychelles and Central African Republic are both interesting flags. Central African Republic has a red bar straight down the middle. And Seychelles is a series of different colors, and their election materials have check marks in all those different colors. Excellent, excellent flags, as is the flag of Kiribati, which I found out is actually pronounced Kiribati. Beautiful bird on the Kiribati flag. And Kiribati is the last election. It went yesterday and will extend through January 5th. Now, why is there a week to take a first round and a second round of parliamentary elections? Let's discuss for a second the geography of Kiribati. Kiribati is 313 square miles. So that's when you add all the islands up, 313 square miles. Kansas City is 313 square miles. I want to make clear, Kansas City, Missouri. You add in Kansas City, Kansas, it screws up the whole Kiribati comparison. So Kiribati, the actual islands that people can step on, though not all islands are stepped upon and inhabited, 
the size of Kansas City, spread out from west to east, 2,400 miles, which is actually the distance from San Diego to Atlanta. So this is a large nation. They're really into voting. When you think of these examples of democracy throughout the world, democracy where things are a lot more at stake or at least a lot more tangible than being one point out of third place, things are maybe a little more optimistic. But then sometimes you think about the downside of democracy, how it is denied to so many people, how the Ethiopian elections this year were once again president won in the 90%. Or what about Slovenia? Just an example of democracy, even when it runs right, even when the will of the people is listened to, it's not a good thing. The Slovenian parliament, very forward-looking institution, allowed same-sex couples to marry and adopt children. But last week, the Slovenians went to the polls and they delivered a rebuke to that, a setback to same-sex marriage. They banned same-sex marriage in Slovenia. Democracy is a very interesting thing. And by the next time you hear me, it will be less than one week to that Iowa election that, as I've told you before, really doesn't matter. On the show today, I will spiel about a few stray sentences that stayed with me in 2015. But first, we're counting down the hits. All of them, there weren't that many, that went to number one. So if you're a fan of the show, or even if you've just caught the right seven episodes, you know that Chris Melanthi stops by and he talks about the number one billboard hits of a particular year. Well, this is the time that we're going to do that which they said couldn't be done. We're going to blow your mind because the year we've selected is the year 1117. Now, Billboard Chris, what? no, it's 2015. We're going to do this year, the number one songs. Barely plural, right, Chris? Barely plural, Mike, yes. We, we do need to pick up a, a year that America existed if we're going to talk about the American Top 40. <laughs> All right, you and your standards. But there were how many number one songs this year? New number one hits this year, we only had eight. Is that the lowest number ever? It's not the lowest number ever, but it's pretty low. I started noticing that these numbers were getting smaller about four or five years ago. And um, I I wrote a piece in 2012 talking about that year's singles. This is by the way, if if all of you want to go down memory lane, 2012 was the year of Call Me Maybe. It was the year of We Are Young by Fun. It was the year of Somebody That I Used to Know by Gautier. And I called it the return of something called the monoculture. The monoculture is a, is a term that you'll hear pop critics talk about a lot. It's, it's a concept that at one time, Americans all consumed the same media at the same time. It was the era of only three networks on television. It was the era of, you know, fewer movies in theaters and obviously no Netflix. And in terms of pop music, it was the era when, you know, Michael Jackson was striding across the world like a colossus with Thriller. We were all listening to Thriller when we were all listening to Princess Purple Rain, when we were all listening to Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. There was a a shared culture then. That culture got very, you could say, atomized in the 90s and early 2000s as radio began narrow casting and focusing only on smaller and smaller slices of the demographic pie. And as genres multiplied and even metal fans couldn't agree what brand of metal they liked and, you know, pop fans couldn't agree whether they liked, you know, hip-hop derived pop or rock derived pop. And, you know, we all, you know, started listening to our own Walkman and then our own Discman and then our own iPods and, you know, slicing and dicing our music. 
What's strange about the last decade of popular music, and you see this reflected on the charts, is in the digital era, oddly, and I would credit a lot of this to social media, the monoculture has kind of been reconstituted. We are all consuming the same big songs at the same time. So you want to talk about a year like 2015, the year you and I are talking about today. There were two hits, just to give you an example, which literally topped the Hot 100 for half the year. Between the two songs, these songs were number one for a total of 26 weeks, 14 weeks for the song Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. And 12 weeks for See You Again, the song from the movie Furious 7 by Wiz Khalifa featuring Charlie Puth. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. When I see you again. Damn, oh no. This was the year of, you know, really huge hits. And and oddly, in the social era, songs are more shared than they have been in about a generation. And, and that's why we're seeing fewer songs go to number one. So let's talk about The Weeknd, who drops an E between the K and the N. Can't Feel My Face was the huge song, but apparently The Hills did just as well for him. Or even better, which, yeah, really which did, I did not, one. in terms of weeks of number one, I did not see that coming. I mean, Can't Feel My Face is the the more acclaimed song. It, it was a contender for Song of the Summer. It's topped a lot of critics' lists at the end of the year. You know, you're seeing it on top of Rolling Stone's list, and it probably will be up there in Paz and Jop as well. It's it's basically an homage to Michael Jackson. I mean, it, it sounds like a vintage off-the-wall era cut. And I know she'll be the death of me. At least we'll both be numb. And she'll always get the best of me. The worst is yet to come. All the misery was necessary. Well, what deep in love? Yes, I know. Crossed with a little bit of your favorite uh, Steve Miller band's uh, "Fly Like an Eagle," it's got uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's got some of that uh, that that uh, time keeps on slipping into the future vibe to it. So that's been three weeks at number one uh, at the end of the summer. The shocker is that uh, a song that was rising from the weekend in parallel with Can't Feel My Face, The Hills, actually wound up spending six weeks at number one, twice as long as Can't Feel My Face. It was a song that was basically knocking around the middle of the top 40 for most of the summer. And it was rather underestimated by everybody, including probably the record label and The Weeknd himself. They kind of issued it as a teaser track for his album back in May, and they didn't really promote it all that hard. They didn't regard it as a radio cut. It tells you how hot the weekend was this year that the hills never went away hung around all summer and then in the fall right in time for you know halloween season which is appropriate because boy is the song spooky sounding uh it finally goes to number one and winds up sitting there for a month and a half
Now, perhaps less uh, technically advanced is Justin Bieber. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's I'm just reacting to his his public persona. But Bieber, the Biebs hit number one. He did. And uh, right now, by the way, as we speak, the Bieber has been uh, at number two for over a month, right behind Adele's Hello uh, mm. with his current single, Sorry. There's a chance he may have another number one hit if Sorry hangs in there long enough. But yes, his number one hit back in September was uh, What Do You Mean? Which, believe it or not, this will shock people who think that they, we've been living in Justin Bieber's world for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Gosh, he even titled an album, My World, come to think of it. In any case, uh, this was Justin Bieber's first ever number one hit, uh, which is a shocker. If you're a person, you know, over college age right now or even over high school age and you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, you are probably not the target audience for Justin Bieber. Or at least prior to this year, you've never been the target audience for Justin Bieber. He's been a sales phenomenon, but not so much of an airplay phenomenon or at least not the kind of airplay that you're going to hear on radio stations listened to by anybody with, you know, a credit card, a mortgage or a job. And what changed in 2015 is that Justin Bieber, you know, he's trying to pull that classic, you know, boy to man transition. Again, Michael Jackson did it. Justin Timberlake did it. He's trying to make that transition. And he seems to have finally pulled it off. He's actually scored multiple hits this year from this new album of his purpose. And many of them are getting airplay on, you know, regular top 40 stations, even adult contemporary stations. Uh, and what do you mean is a, is a signal example of that. It's a, it's not as boyish as some of his prior hits. It's Got that puppy dog vibe, but it's it's also got a very pleasant thump to it in a kind of post-EDM way. You could totally picture yourself listening to it while waiting in line at the drugstore or the checkout line at the supermarket. It's it's uh, pleasant in that way. What do you mean? But as for uh, this year's Song of the Summer, Omi's uh, Cheerleader, I mean, that, again, was a song that peaked around the world in other countries uh, in the winter, in the spring, but it waited for summer here. And it was a song that owed its success uh, to a uh, remix by a German DJ who remixed the song and actually... made it interestingly a hybrid between reggae and EDM. It's got kind of the the beat and the the tempo and and the echo of a of a club track crossed with this lilting reggae track. Oh, I think that I found myself a cheerleader. She is always right there when I need her. The original Ome track was actually a hit in Jamaica back in 2012, and it totally sounds like a very traditional reggae song. So when you add up uh, The weekend and the week Justin Bieber had, We've just been dominated by Canadians on the pop charts. Yes, it's been odd Canadian dominance for the last, I want to say, four or five months. And I found out that Wiz Khalifa was born in North Dakota, which is Canadian adjacent. Practically Canadian, yes. The one Canadian who almost dominated but didn't was Drake. Yes. And he didn't crack because only eight new songs cracked number one. That is correct. Depending on how you feel about Drake, I'm not sure my heart bleeds for him. Drake got robbed in October. And in a way, he he almost has nobody to blame but himself. Hotline Bling... 
his song, which ultimately peaked at number two, yes. uh, was sort of the most meme-tastic song of the fall, late summer and early fall. It was the song that featured Drake, if you will call the video, in this um, setting that looked like a James Terrell uh, museum exhibit with all of these uh, soft pastel colors. And there's Drake in the middle of it doing what everybody calls, you know, sort of his dad dance. He's kind of doing his little dance moves and, you know, jamming He's back and forth. It's like he was inviting people to turn him into a mm-hmm. vine. You used to call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. Call me on my cell phone. As the song was rising into the top three, he even uh, posted, I believe it was um, on Instagram, saying, wow, this would be a dream come true for me if I were to have a number one hit. He got screwed by three things. His friend The weekend, Apple Music, and Adele. I could I could guess at the Adele. She's just a juggernaut, and it's hard to... Right, let's take yeah. the simplest one last. Yeah. Adele happened to show up in October right when Drake was ready to go to number one and dropped Hello. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go... Hello is, a, is you know, the, the behemoth of all behemoths of this year. It set records left and right. Nothing was stopping it. It went to number one right when Hotline Bling was at number two, poised to go to number one. However, he made two, he had two more uh, roadblocks in his way. The Weekends, The Hills, as I said before, that song, nobody expected it to go to number one in the first place. And then nobody expected it to stay at number one for six weeks. In its final week at number one, The Weekend dropped a couple of remixes of The Hills, one featuring Eminem, the other featuring Nicki Minaj. Those two remixes gave him a sixth week at number one that he otherwise probably would not have had. And that would have been an opportunity for Drake to go to number one. Then, as if all that wasn't enough, Drake made a huge, huge mistake the week that he possibly could have gone to number one. He issued the video, the meme-tastic video for Hotline Bling, only on Apple Music as an exclusive. Apple Music's music video plays are not reported to Billboard. It's a technical thing. First of all, Apple Music only launched this year. And right now, as of now, they only report their audio sales to Billboard. Billboard gets no video data from Apple. And as a result, all those millions, probably tens of millions of people who were watching Hotline Bling the first week it was out, none of that counted for the charts. Well, that gives the answer to the question, why is this song number one? Chris Malamphy writes that column for Slate. I always thought it was just the name of a column, but man, that is an excellent answer as to why that song isn't number one. You wanted to know why, Mike. Yeah, Chris Malamphy, thank you very much. You got it, Mike, anytime. Happy New Year. You too. Since I left the city, you got a reputation for yourself now. And now the spiel, effluvia. So I take notes. I have this thing called the gist list, a bunch of ideas. And sometimes the notes I take are just sentences I like. I am holding on to a couple of those sentences, but I couldn't get to all the sentences. So I just wanted to read some of the sentences to you. In uh, March, Bill Raftery was interviewed. He's the college basketball announcer. This is more. This, you can see why this appeals to me maybe than you. But Raftery, Raftery was quoted about how he enjoys learning something and sharing it immediately. Quote, that's why I went into broadcasting rather than espionage. Yes, that is true for me. 
Here's a line I wrote down. I forgot what the controversy was. Maybe it was Cecil the Lion. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was even a year old. This could apply to the Donald Sterling thing, but here it is. It's easier to condemn than to figure out the charge. Yeah, that happens a lot in our society, doesn't that? Here's another one. I wrote this when I was thinking about South Carolina and the Confederate flag. They're against changing the flag because that is their identity. I don't mean the flag is their identity. I mean being against change is. Other sentences. Grief is our compensation for death. Whoa. See, we think of grief as the thing that hurts. It's actually the thing that heals. Probably going to say that at a funeral or maybe to someone who's grieving if they could take it, if they're open to it. Here's one. This, this was in the New York Times, or at least a, a blog portion of the New York Times. I like to think about aspects of elections that are unusual or that are ironic, like in the opening of the show when I talk about the glories of democracy, but how Slovenia, by absolutely adhering to what democracy was created for, set back same-sex marriage. So this was an interesting thing to think about. And it was about why politicians seem to lie more than regular people. Some voters do not share democratic values and politicians must appeal to them as well. That is interesting. Here's another. This was also a Mike Pesca written sentence. The trade-off of living in a country where California gets to set the pace on auto emissions is that Texas gets to set the standards on textbooks. I could work. I could. I could cut that down to 140, but I stand by that sentence. And then the last couple sentences of the year are about the phenomenon of the year. What do you think it was? I think it was Donald Trump. Not that he. I've talked about him a lot. Not that he's going to win. Don't think he's going to do that. Not that he's really a touchstone or displays a truth. But I think more so that he makes a truth unavoidable. You know, the truth that a good percentage of the population, some 10 to 20 percent, are the kind of people who would vote for Donald Trump. Now, if we paid enough attention, I've talked about this before, but if we paid enough attention, those were the same percentage of people who wouldn't believe that President Obama was born in the United States. So it's out there if you wanted it to be out there. But man, is it out there in your face now. Two days ago, Frank Luntz, who conducts those focus groups, was writing in the Financial Times And he uh, laid down a truth that took it a little beyond the cliche of why everyone's attracted to Trump. He acknowledged that, yeah, the voters are anxious. Trump supporters are anxious and have anxiety. But then he went on to add, but they're also out for revenge. Remember that. And remember this. This is, I think, my sentence of the year. It was not delivered to me in English. It was said to me by a tour guide when I was in Montenegro. It's kind of cool to have a tour guide lay on you what would become the sentence of the year. Here we'll go to, uh, this is me in Montenegro talking to Nino, who said something very profound. So we're sitting here in Montenegro in the beautiful city of... Suburb of the Budva. And I'm talking with... Nino Markovic. And Nino Markovic, you said something I thought that was very profound on the bus. You talked about the nature of the Montenegrin people and what a fierce fighters they were, but then you made a point comparing bravery to humanity. Can you tell me what that was? Yes, yes, yes. It is actually like a short story about the ethical principles uh, from Montenegro. So we have one short sentence. Bravery is very easy, it is when you defend yourself from others, but humanity is more difficult, it is when you defend others from yourself. Bravery is easy when you defend yourself from others, 
humanity is more difficult, it's when you defend others from yourself. And I think about that a lot, given our current political climate. I think about that a lot when it comes to circling the wagons and keeping out others and acting as if this is a brave stance. I don't think it is a brave stance. I don't think the Montenegrins would think it was a brave stance. And then I asked Nino, well, give me what that sentence would be in your language, which is they call it Montenegrin. We'd probably call it Serbo-Croatian. And he translated it and he talked about the word humanity. The bravery is unashtvo and humanity is choiceful. Choiceful, which is an idea of humanity, but it's not a defensive idea. It's not an idea of simply not doing the thing that's wrong. It's an affirmative idea. It talks about having a spine and achieving humanity as an accomplishment. Well, that's an idea and that's a sentence that I'll try to remember because it was, I think, the best sentence I heard in 2015. And that's it for the show. For Old Lang Syne, my dear, for Old Lang Syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet for Old Lang Syne. And surely, Andrea Salenzi, just producer, you'll buy your cup, and surely I'll buy mine. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for Old Lang Syne. Executive producer Andy Bowers has run about the slopes and picked the daisies fine. But we've wandered many a weary foot since old Lang Syne. In 2015, the gist and you have paddled in the stream from morning sun till dine. But seas between us broad have roared since old Lang Syne. Do you know why there are a million Christmas songs and only one New Year's song? Because the New Year's song is perfect. Umperu, deperu, du peru. Thanks for listening. Listen again next year. <laughs>